But it put a lot of pressure on me mentally when everybody said you're gonna you're gonna be a loser, you're 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 wasting your talent, you could be doing so much more. Let's start here. Um, Gary, you and I, we are obviously bonded by our similar background. It's something that we discussed from the very first moment we met. You know, both of our our parents were immigrants. Um, not only do they run their own family business to make a living, but they also settled into the same area in New Jersey, <laughs> um, very middle-class America, a lot of ethnic pockets. How did that experience lead you here? Um, I think that adversity is the foundation of success. And I think one of the great vulnerabilities of the modern empires, America included, is the demonization of losing eighth place trophies, everybody trying to make everybody feel good all the time. I, I have this great honor completely on the backbone and on the steps of not being handed toys, having to work for what I was given, getting into fights, you know, <laughs> all those adversities in Queens and Edison, New Jersey and being an immigrant and not to mention, and this is something that I've always felt towards you as well, it's a very subtle thing, you know, Let's just get right to the punchline. When I was a child, America's enemy was the Soviet Union. And when I would go into, mm. when I would go into class, this is something I very rarely talk about. And it is absolutely why I feel an incredible connection to my Muslim brothers and sisters. When you are America's current enemy, it's a very difficult framework to navigate in when you live in America. <laughs> and so, that's what I had. Maybe not as obvious by my appearance, and so I would never. So I would argue easier. However, nonetheless, difficult for me on an every single day basis. I got into many fights and got picked on a lot for being Russian, for being. Mm. I was called a commie spy four thousand times in my life. D Rock sitting in this room, he's never heard me say that once. So I. Uh, I, uh, I'm here because of adversity. I really believe talent, all that other stuff, but how did that factor into here? Adversity's good, especially when you accept it and understand it and are grateful for it. And that's why I'm, and that's how I answered that question. So then, of course, naturally, the next question would be how? You know, like when you look back at that whole journey to becoming so influential in your industry today, what was that constant variable that you see for your success? from those early days. Perspective. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, I think both my grandmothers always would talk about health. You know, my father lost his dad at 15. My mother lost her mom at five. And I think that affected me quite a bit. I think I feared losing my parents uh, quite a bit. I think a lot of my strengths and shortcomings actually are predicated on that. And I feel as though I was, I to this day speak quite a bit actually now out loud about the gratitude I have if everybody I love when I wake up in the morning is alive and then every business loss, every judgment casted on me by somebody important, every adversity every minute, being late by 20 minutes right now, 
all those tiny things that a lot of people get stressed about, I'm just incapable of health over everything. And so I think that shapes my perspective to gratitude and happiness, which then fuels my energy to accomplish. Mm. No, I, I completely feel that. I mean, you know, for myself as well, going through that adversity on the entrepreneurial journey, you know, I recall, like, right before Muslim Girl got its first investor, um, I was having, like, this moment where I had used every last penny to my name on this venture. I was, I could no longer afford rent. I was couch surfing, friends of a friends of a friend's places. You know, I had this one moment with myself that I recall when I was, like, in a dark basement with no electricity somewhere in Patterson, New Jersey. Yep. <laughs> and I was, like, sleeping on a dirty-ass futon. And I asked myself, you know, like, how much more can I take? You know, like, how much longer can I last? Going through all the adversity that you faced to get here, did you ever have a moment like that? No, I don't, I didn't. I was too good at making money. You know, that's just, <laughs> and, and, and even better at not spending it. You know, I'm, I'm so good like that. That's a talent of mine. And so, you know, I, uh, I, saved, every, uh, I saved all my money. I didn't buy stuff. I, I built a huge baseball card collection. I sold it. I always had money um, because that is my talent, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so, no, I did not. However, my version of that was more mental. I got really, mm. I got a, a really aggressively bullied by teachers and parents in my high school years because they probably saw a kind, talented kid who was failing so miserably in the way that they scored the world, which was school, that they really put a lot of pressure on me in, in their words uh, in, a way, mm. in a way that probably came from a good place in hindsight. Um, but it put a lot of pressure on me mentally when everybody said, you're gonna, you're gonna be a loser, you're, you're, you're wasting your talent. You could be doing so much more. You know, it's right there. It's right there. I mean, this is real life. You know, I tell stories. This is why I got there. I'm showing my report card right now. I, I, <laughs> I think that when people hear I was a bad student, I don't think they understand how bad. My class rank was 243 out of 254. There was only 11 people that were worse in my high school class out of 254 people. And, and you know, obviously... I've had disproportionately more success than probably the combination of, my, of class, let alone individuals in it. And not in happiness, because so many of them are happy, thank God, but I knew what I was, and I knew what I was gonna accomplish, and so um, it was a... Was, me- it, was it always like that? Yes. Because like, everyone, yes. everyone knows your entrepreneurial stories, having started like with your, taking on your family's wine business, right, and like growing it to millions of dollars in revenue. Yes, and, was and, there, that, and like, that was... Was it the sudden burst? into entrepreneurialism? So listen, here's my true narrative that people are confused by. As a kid with no money, starting with lemonade, making a dollar, then two dollars, my parents never gave me money. My parents never gave me money. I never got a dollar in allowance, right? Uh, my dad bar mm-hmm. lent me a thousand dollars when I started my business to add to what I had, and then I paid it back within a week because it didn't even feel good, and I was like, fuck that. And so my parents never gave me money, and then I have money, ten, you know, 8,000, 10,000 bucks, and then I go into my dad's family business. And then I had my next adversity, which is from 22 to 34, I built an enormous business. I had no social life, and I owned none of the business. And at 34 years old, I leave my family business to start VaynerMedia, and I have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because not only did I build a huge business for my dad, 
and my mom uh, and my family, but I also underpaid myself to reinvest in the business, so I wasn't even compensated properly for my executive prowess. You know, some could say, well, I've built businesses for other companies. I'm like, cool, at least you got paid $400,000 a year, 800,000 a year when you took something from three to 65. I didn't get even that. I was treating it as if it was mine. But that doesn't, I used to resent my dad a little bit for that. I'm happy to admit that. But that's because it happened in 2011, 12, 13 when I was stuck in the startup world and I needed to remind myself that I was in a family business and every family business of immigrants in America is the old man or the old woman owns it until they die and then they give it to the kid. So it wasn't that they were doing anything, anything different than anybody else. It was that I was so special and that's just the truth. Not a lot of kids go into the business, take control and explode the fuck out of it. So, and, and then by the way, and then my next adversity started. I started this business with my brother 50-50 when I had all the leverage and then he left early and I had to buy him out. And so like, my, I am a story at adversity when it comes to the financial part. But my brother, mm. by, by, my, by my brother gave me what I wanted, control and respect and acknowledgement that I was the alpha. You know? You know? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that's a, a huge center part of the conversation, right? Like on a personal level with like entrepreneur stories and kind of like how it plays out across society too, right? Because there's also all these conversations right now about like ownership, about generational wealth, uh, especially for our minority communities and how they're building themselves up. And as the man of influence, I'm curious what your perspective is, you know, as, as you're looking at the national landscape right now, like what do you think, like when it comes to accumulating that influence, is there something people are getting wrong or like where should we be directing our attention to really push back against that adversity and progressive change? I, I, look, you know what's so funny? There's such a simple answer to your question in the way that I've synthesized through my mind, which is we need to talk about happiness, actual happiness. You know, like, if you, if you ask me how to answer your question, I think, I think that we are getting into, we're in such a metrics-based world. How much money do you make? Mm. How many followers do you have? You know, everything's so mathed out in this tech world. This is why I'm advocating for the incredible, and I didn't invent it, I only followed the story once it happened. I think Instagram eliminating the like count in Australia and Canada really caught my attention because I think it's an unlock to creativity and happiness. Uh, Mm. You know, you know. So you're in favor of that? I'm in massive favor of it. Interesting, okay. And it's really interesting. A lot of people are confused by that because I'm at the top of the sphere of it and I'm like, that doesn't change my opinion of what brings value to people. I don't feel like it's detrimental to me. I feel like it's, uh, it, I think it actually fulfills my thesis, which is be, yeah. be creative, do what you want, be happy. So, you know, when I think about generational wealth or things of that nature, like the amount of trust fund babies and third generation wealthy kids that I know that are the most miserable people on earth is enormous. I I actually think, I remember judging Bill Gates and Warren Buffett for giving away all their money because I came from nothing and now I understand it way more. I actually think the great curse that most parents give is too much money to their kids. Well, you kind of like hit it, hit the nail on the head, you know, where we kind of are really sizing each other up by such superficial metrics at the moment. Um, you know, like everyone's talking about influencers, right? Influencer yes. culture. And, you know, just speaking about being at the top of the sphere of it, you know, you're very much connected to a lot of influencers and like that whole culture. Like when I was walking into your office last week, I was, I was walking into our meeting at the same time as like the Shanisha was walking out. 
you know, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, right? That you've made it very clear that influence doesn't come down to a follower account. So what is your definition of a truly influential person? You know what's funny? I, I don't even ha- know if I have an answer. I mean, I have some sort of answer, right? But I actually don't have passion behind it. I actually have no passion behind, you know, an influential person is, brings value to their audience, which creates a relationship with them predicated on value. Whether that value is they're so attractive that you want to look at a model or they make you laugh or they give you a mindset shift or they give you a tactic on TikTok, I don't get to judge why somebody becomes influential. The audience gets to judge. That's fine. That's cool. That's whatever. I think what, mm-hmm. what I think I do extremely well is I counterpoint my own points. I always say that I'm a contradiction. Mm. Like, I believe influencers really matter. I was right. I was right eight years ago when I was yelling about that. It's happened. People have amassed followers and people want to tap into that attention, right? At the same token, if you notice, once I establish that and it becomes acceptant, all of a sudden my message starts changing to the counter move of that, which is like, hey influencers, don't get too high in your own supply. Who the fuck are you? Treat people with kindness. This could go away. Make sure you start building your audience in other platforms. I'm constantly doing that. I'm right about trends and then I start to help the people that have benefited or aspire to it mm-hmm. to understand the, the counter issue of that trend. There is always yeah. a reaction to something that happens. And, totally. and, many, yeah. and many things start pure and then get tainted with success. I would yeah. argue, I would argue, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday and it got into humility and, and it's so interesting to me I was gifted with it, that's all I can say. My parents instilled it, it was in my natural DNA. My bravado is only matched by my humility and every day that I'm consciously aware of my influence, my scale, my notoriety growing, I subconsciously continue to triple down to make sure my humility is outpacing my growth. Listen, well, I mean, listen, myself, listen, think, you know this better yeah. than any, you, why this is funny to of have course. this conversation with you is you know it better than anyone. Yeah, no, and I, I was literally was just about to say, you know, like one of the coolest moments in my entrepreneurial journey so far was, was having the opportunity to meet you. You know, like walking into your office for our first meeting, someone I had admired for so long when it comes to the whole hustle and everything, and literally walking out of there having you as my business partner. Um, you know, you became an investor in Muslim Girl and also an advisor and mentor to me. I'm curious what kind of influence you saw in Muslim Girl. What, what was the last part? I want to make sure I heard it. What, what kind of what? What kind of influence you saw in Muslim Girl? You know what's funny? So what I saw is, uh, when I think back to it, was I just intuitively knew that there was value that you could bring to the table and more importantly, and it's really manifested, I had a funny feeling that nobody could help you more than me. You know, to me, it was maybe my ego and my speaking, which was like, I have to invest in this company because she can do so much, but she's gonna need something that's an enigma of both business and mindset because she's gonna be an influencer Mm. and an operator and she's gonna need somebody who, I mean, look, this is so surreal to have this conversation with you because literally, A, I didn't know it's I was so having terrible. this conversation with you because <laughs> I never look at my schedule and I have no idea what I'm ever getting into. I'm sure that's making Maha laugh right now. Number two, 
We literally had, we really had a transcending, I would argue that the meeting you and I had two weeks ago was even more powerful than the first one. Wow. Because the first one, a lot of people believe in you because you're fucking charismatic and you've got it. I think the meeting you and I had two weeks ago was the manifestation of what I actually talk about. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely come a lot. I mean, especially with your support, like everything has come, you know, to this point that I don't think any of us really could have imagined. And especially for you, I think we always could tell that, you know, your heart was in the right place when it came to like working with us. Um, and especially, you know, with everything that you just talked about, you know, with your influence that you've garnered, with the adversity that you've experienced, and kind of like what you're witnessing us go through as a Muslim publication right now, you know, as Muslims in today's political era, you know, what does it mean for you to use your influence to support underrepresented narratives like mine? It means that I'm giving back to the thing that put me on. Mm. My story is very simple. Everything was wrong except entrepreneurship and communication. And I use those things to build a happy life. And the fact that I'm in a point in my life where I can give back, it matters to me tremendously. Like, it's very easy for me to be a conscious human that cares about humanity, that when you walked into my room, that I genuinely believed that you needed me on your team and that your story within your community and the greater community of humans was a story that needed infrastructure behind it to navigate and when I think back to the four or five meaningful meetings we've had or phone calls or those transcending moments when you had your most difficult times or where you needed me to step up, that's what I'm way more proud of than intuitively knowing you had it when you walked in. Because you know your truth. You know other people were enamored by your energy but then weren't there. Yeah, that's so true. That's it. So what does that mean? Is that part of the MO? It's, uh, yes, you know, it be, mean, yes. Be doing the right thing the is always the right thing. That's the MO. I love that. And so, so I, um, I'm, I'm curious, Adam, how much more time do we have? We could a little more time. Yeah, we can do five more minutes. Okay, awesome. You know, you um, know let me say okay. something that might bring some value here. I had a really, you know, this just made me think of something. I had a really interesting moment uh, recently. There was a great Netflix documentary that I watched over the summer called, I think, The Black Godfather. Maha, do I have that right? It's called, which one? It's, what's his name? Uh, Clarence, the, The Black Godfather. Yeah, yeah, Black Godfather, yeah. So I watched that because I love documentaries. And we're different, but there was nuances in there that made me feel really, really, really happy. And I was watching it, and Maha, uh, you know, and and thinking about that, and then thinking about this like conversation right now, I remember watching it and saying to myself, "Oh fuck, like there's gonna be there's gonna be there's gonna be a documentary made like Amani, all the good stuff that I do." Like the real shit that I do, nobody knows about. Mm. There's no content. Real dudes live in silence. Yeah, it's re- which is really wild because I put out so much stuff, so I'm confusing people. He was really actually <laughs> in the shadows, right? I, on the other hand, am playing this weird rope-a-dope where I'm 
at the top of the sphere of awareness, but the most noble actions of who I am are actually in the shadows. You don't. So, so then, Gary, I'm curious. How do you find ways to stay connected, like to the community, and and, and find ways to stay grounded with everything that's going on? Well, by listening. I read an enormous amount of comments. I watch what people consume. I have I have an obnoxious amount of conversations. There's not an influencer on earth that is more in their community than me, and I'm actually busy because I respect. Mm and obsess over my community in a way that I just have not seen anybody else do. I don't know what else to say. I really don't. I feel, you know, I feel it's a little bit of an audacious statement, but there is something clearly, deeply entrenched in my soul that is petrified to ever sell out, which makes me feel like I overcorrected in my kindness and humanity. I don't know what else to say. Like, that's my, if, you know, I'm trying to analyze me from afar, like, my only something is happened or in me that is just petrified of hypocrisy or being full of shit that yeah. just has completely just makes me happy. I'm just I, honestly, and, and by the way, back it's, to it's, staying it's grounded, staying, gra- staying grounded. It's 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 predicated on it's predicated on that. Like I don't even know any other option. I just don't know. I don't know. It would scare the living shit out of me for somebody who actually knows me to say something bad about me. They could speak to my flaws or shortcomings, which I have plenty of like anybody else, but my spirit, my intent, my humanity, no fucking way. I mean, one thing that I said to you in person um, the last time when we were together, I told you that one thing that really sets you apart from any other investor that I've worked with is that every time I, you know, we link up, I step into your office, wherever, first question you ask me is, Amani, what's going to make you happy? What will make you happy? Uh, and that's kind of like your approach to everything. And so I kind of want to take the opportunity to ask you, turn that lens back on you and ask you, Gary, what makes you happy? Well, what makes me happy is knowing that I'm giving more than I'm taking. It just does. It's, it's also my kryptonite. It's what allows me, and I'm very self-aware and I'm a communicator. I am absolutely aware that in my 80s or 90s, I could become a very resentful old man. I genuinely believe that right now. And I'm trying to do actions in my 40s now to, to curtail that. You know, first way to fix something is to acknowledge it. I believe that I give so much and I've already sensed certain resentment times with my dad my family, like I I have, that I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I need to be careful here. I live on optimism in the future, thus I'm always willing to not take as much because I've got more time. I'm the more talented one. I can always do it. And I think when I get to 80, 90, or if I get terminally ill, I always get scared about getting terminally ill because I feel like I am so optimistic and happy for the future that I could go into deep depression. Uh, And so I think about that. I, I think my vulnerability is my gift. And, and so what makes me happy is giving more than I take, but I want to be thought, more thoughtful about that going forward because I also don't want that to lead to you know, resentment down the stretch when I don't see as much time or I don't have as much energy. You know? mm. Totally. Okay. 
Um, well, I'm afraid we're running out of time, so I kind of want to close out on one last question, kind of to wrap up. And, you know, as we kind of look out into the horizon, out into the future, you know, given that you are a, a businessman and such a successful one at that, you know, you run a, a major corporation, also have your hand in so many other companies, um, you know, like, as we look at all the conversations happening around social good and progress, I'm wondering if you see a solution, you know, like one of the things that has continuously to come, come up is the uh, concept of like boycotting businesses that mm. aren't toting the morals that we want to see in society. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering where you stand on that. What do you think is effective moving forward for us to push for the world that we want to live in? By individual actions. And, and also the, the role of businesses in, in doing that as well by individual actions. I don't like to impose my altruism on other people. I think we've become way too judgmental without context. And my answer to your question is, we need to lead by action, not by words. Everyone's a tough guy on social. Do you know how many people hashtagged boycott XYZ but are now using that? So, my point of view on this is when we start having conversations where it sounds like you all should or we should, I, for me, and by the way, I admire ones that rally, but I like to, for me, I like to do it through action, through my truth. And, and so I'm gonna focus on what I can do about it and I'm gonna act that way and I'm not going to cast judgment I'm going to speak about my passions. I'm gonna tell the, I do it through my actions. It, you know, there are plenty of my friends, and I don't know if I would use friends. There are plenty of my acquaintances, to even warm acquaintances, that I know deep in their soul that they don't like that I invested in Muslim girl. I have, wow. to, know, I, I have to know that truth. I, I know that there's enormous amounts of insecurity in the world that leads to hate. So, I believe, that, by the way, I don't know that to be true. Nobody's ever told me. I just know how the world works. Mm-hmm. And, and believe it or not, as much as that disgusts the fuck out of me, I can't even think about that. That's defense. I'm offense. I will continue to do positivity and shed light and do the right things, and I will continue to amass influence, and hopefully through my actions, I will inspire, not scold, people into good behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's hanging on to those those values in your actions, despite any type of adversity you might face. Yeah, and, and by the way, it's less about adversity. It's not like I'm facing anything. Not one person has ever said a single thing to me about investing in Muslim girl or anything else I do. Uh, actually, people, I've actually had way more people on this my on my social liberal scale tell me what I should do versus the other way. Way more, Gary. You should not. Invest in companies with plastic. Okay. Gary, you should, mm. not, you should not invest in that company. They make plastic straws. Okay. Gary, you should not do that. That person once voted for, like, I get far more pressure from my social left friends than my conservative right friends. Much more, by the way. But that will not change my behavior. And uh, I think we're in a keyboard warrior culture and people are full of shit. They try to look good in public, but their actions don't match it. And I think there's a lot of devastating hypocrisy in our world. And I don't think 
you ever make change by telling people how to be. Is that like the double-edged sword of social media? No, social media is a mirror. It's the double-edged sword of fucking people. Mm, wow. Social media didn't make you tweet boycott X and then six weeks later you missed it and you bought it and you're a fucking hypocrite but your friends in Williamsburg think you're a good person. Listen, it's a very powerful thought. We, we, yeah. we need to have a very thoughtful conversation. You know, we're trying to yeah. impose ourselves on each other. Worry about your fucking self and do the right thing. I promise you, bad guys always lose. I promise you, bad guys always lose. That's how we're still here. Wait, what, what did you say? Bad guys always lose. Mm. When, when a racist goes into the ground, it's a sad show. Yeah, we definitely are kind of like in a in a call out culture right now. It's really interesting hearing your perspective on it. You know, with your background and everything, more than anything, this has just been uh, you know a, a conversation that I have personally enjoyed. Just to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to you on a personal level like this, because obviously, for the most part, all of our conversations are still heavily focused yes. on business most of the yes. time. <laughs> yes. That, this has definitely been really refreshing for me on a personal level as well. So thank you so much, Gary. And again.